were here last week, uh, Rebecca spoke last week, Rebecca Messenger, um, and just killed it and so grateful for her willingness to, to get up here and do that. And so if you know Rebecca, if you, you know, you hit her up on Facebook or text her, or if you work with her, just tell her thank you for being willing to, to show up and, and preach uh, up here. Um, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, you got a Bible? Verse 12 is where we're going to be. Hebrews 10, verse 12. It says this, but he... Having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Okay, so who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. Okay, he is Jesus. Having offered sacrifices for sins. We're talking about the death and resurrection um, of Jesus. Right? This is what Rebecca talked about last week. If you didn't get it, you can go find it on Facebook or YouTube or on our website. Um, about the one gift of Jesus on the cross. Sufficient for all time. For all people. Right? If you, if you haven't been along as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, um, to sum up the last 18 months of the book of Hebrews, it's just Jesus is better, right? And so in this moment, in this particular section of the book of Hebrews, we're talking about Jesus is better than the priests, that he has a better covenant, he has a, a better offer of a relationship with God, and he is a better priest. A, a little interesting factoid for you about um, Jewish priests in the temple, Right, which obviously doesn't exist anymore, but in the temple or in the tabernacle, there was actually no place to sit. In all of the space, there were zero chairs on purpose because when a priest would enter into that space to do his priestly work, he had a job to do, right? And when you have a job to do, you can't just sit and relax. You have to be doing it. It reminds me when I read this passage, right? Because um, it says this. Oh, sorry. Let me read the rest of it. It says, but he offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. And it says this. He sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. That is monumentally, hugely significant. That claim that the right of Hebrews is making, it doesn't sound like a big deal to us, right? Like he sat. Woohoo! He sat down, right? But when you understand, priests were prohibited from sitting because... When you're in the ministry of God, when you are doing the work of the priesthood, you had a perpetual job. You constantly had a job that you had to be doing. So there was no sitting in the presence of God. Yet Jesus, this new kind of priest, once he's done with his job, the death and burial uh, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, he's, he sits. It reminds me of, um, you remember the movie, um, if you haven't seen it, you should go back and watch it. Um, Remember the Titans? It's a great movie. I love Denzel Washington in it. And there's this moment when um, the team is kind of uh, all over the place and they're dysfunctional and, and angry and violent with each other. And they're out in the south. They, they, the school's in Tennessee. But they're at this camp and they're doing conditioning in the summer. And they're doing what everybody's favorite thing to do if you've done sports is they're doing up-downs. And they're just doing, if you've never done up-downs, just um, whatever your vision of hell is, just imagine that. <laughs> and they are in the southern heat, which is hell. And so they are in hell doing hell things, and they're just doing it over and over and over again. And there's this one guy, and his name's Blue, right? He's a big guy, and uh, he's getting a little 
hot. He's getting a little thirsty and he's getting a little tired. And he makes some comment. I don't remember what the comment was. Um, but Denzel Washington's character says this great line. He comes right up in his face and, and he, he asks him what he wants. He says that he wants water, that they're thirsty. And he says, water makes you a coward. Water makes you weak, right? Which is insanity, right? But then he says this. He says, we're going to do up downs until blue is no longer thirsty, right? And they can't rest. They can't sit until they're done. Says Jesus, our high priest, he offered one sacrifice. The Jewish priests would offer sacrifices over and over and over and over again. But Jesus, he offers one sacrifice and then he, he sits because it's, it's done. It's completed. In fact, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, do you remember the words Jesus says when he's hanging on the cross? He says these three words, the last words that he says. He says, it is finished. It is done. It's accomplished. Um, little uh, Bible trivia factoid for you. Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22. Um, you can go look it up. It's a, it's a longer psalm, but he's quoting Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, uh, John recounts him in John 19 saying, it is finished. But Jesus actually recounted the earlier part of the psalm earlier in a different gospel. There's, there's a lot of um, historians, Bible nerds that think that Jesus actually probably quoted all of Psalm 22 while he was on the cross. In his last press, because Psalm 22 begins this way. You remember these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it ends... It is finished. It is accomplished. It's done. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Jesus sat down because his work is done. But not just that. Look at what it says in verse 13. Read on with me. It says this. Uh, going back a little bit in 12. Sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until now, on, uh, waiting, sorry, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So the image that the writer of Hebrews is painting to us is not just that Jesus is sitting, like not just that Jesus is here. Here. Okay? The image of the writer of Hebrews is that Jesus is in heaven and he's just like, I should have found a more comfortable chair for this <laughs> illustration, right? This is what the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is doing in heaven right now. Watch this, you ready? Ready? Did you see it? Did you see the panic? Did, did you see all the effort? No, no, it says Jesus is seated. And not only is he seated, he's like this, like this kind of the way the writer of Hebrews pictures it. He's like, Jesus is kind of like this. He's just like, like a lot of you gonna be at like two o'clock today, right? When you've consumed more chips and dip and guacamole than a human should in a month, right? He's just waiting. For someone to slide a footstool under his, he's reclining. The image that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus, right now in heaven, he did his work, that all of his work is accomplished. He said it on the cross, right? Don't we believe the words of Jesus? He said, it is finished. It's done. That is incredibly beautiful good news. I mean, that's the center of our faith. Here, here, here's how we'd say it this way, right? We'd say, hey, everything that you have done, 
every single expression of brokenness and sin and rebellion and selfishness and anger and violence and bitterness in you and expressed out of you, all of those things, Jesus' death is sufficient. It's done. It's finished. His sacrifice for one time for all of us is sufficient to offer all of us grace and mercy and life and freedom and healing and hope. It is finished. And here's uh, just a little interesting thing to think for yourself because there's going to come a time in your life if you live long enough that you're going to do something else really stupid. Right? I don't know what it is, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but if you live long enough, that's just what we do as people. Right? It may be in a year, it may be in decades, and you're going to find yourself in a place that you never imagined that you'd end up. You're going to look back and see successive little steps that you took that eroded uh, uh, your walk with God or, or, or were dumb decisions, or you sat in secrecy with some things, and then all of a sudden it's going to blow up, and you're going to see in yourself brokenness explode. Here's what I want you to know now, years or even decades before that moment comes. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for the sins that you have previously committed. He died on the cross in that moment to pay for all of your sins. It's why Paul, he's right, he goes, he goes, knowing this, knowing that Jesus has covered all sins and anything that we could do, anything that we could do with the rest of our lives, Jesus has paid for that. He says, well, then should we just go sinning all the more? Right? That Jesus' singular death on the cross, death and resurrection on the cross was sufficient. That is, that is incredible. There is nothing you can do. That is the foundation of the scandalous, amazing grace of God. That in one death, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Just Jesus' sacrifice once was sufficient for all the brokenness of humanity. Writer of Hebrews says, so now Jesus just, just waits. Just waiting for that moment till all of his enemies are making a footstool him to put his feet up on. And it made me um, ask a question. <laughs> Maybe um, I had this thought. I, I thought, um, like, really? Like, like, here's why. Here's why. Um, I don't know if you live in the same world that I live in, but I live in a world that has a lot of brokenness. Right? And the writer of Hebrews tells us, oh, oh, what glorious and good high priest that we have. He sits and waits. And in my mind, I mean, I don't want to throw shade on Jesus. He's Jesus. But I want to go, I mean, couldn't you do something? Right? You're just sitting and you're waiting and you're not, I mean, have you seen the world that we live in? Have you seen the community? I could just share some stats with you about just the incredible brokenness that this world experiences and that so many of you have experienced in your own life and I want to go, Jesus is just up in heaven going, do, do, do. Right? The only reason we ask that question is because we're not as astute scholars of the Old Testament as the Jews that he's writing to would have been. Because you see, we see these words and we don't understand that actually the writer of Hebrews is, is, is rewriting Psalm 110 as Jesus as the fulfillment of it. So let me, let me read to you Psalm 110. Um, 
Psalm 110, they would have known this. Even, even if you weren't a great Jewish biblical scholar in, in ancient Near Eastern culture, um, if you were a Jew, by the time you were middle-aged, you would have known, memorized every single one of the Psalms. The, the Psalms was their songbook. They, they, I mean, just like there are songs that you know, they would have known every single one of them. And so when he begins to write this, right, listen to what Psalm, 1 says, what Psalm 110 says. It says this. The Lord said to my Lord, right? So this is um, the Father speaking to Jesus, okay? The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to Jesus, the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You see, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus' work is done. The saving work of Jesus, accomplished, complete. There's nothing else that you can do. There's nothing else he has to do. It is fully, completely done. And for now, until he returns and redeems and restores all things, until that moment, he, he sits at the right hand of God because his job in this season is done. But you know whose job isn't? The Father. Jesus' work is finished. Saving work is fully accomplished for all who find faith in him to be covered completely, to find hope and freedom and forgiveness. It is accomplished. But look at what it says. The Father says, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Hebrews, um, go back to Hebrews, Hebrews 10 verse 14 actually tells us exactly how the Father is making the enemies footstools. Uh, look at this. You may not see it to begin with, but we'll figure it out together. It says this, verse 14. For by one offering, by one offering, he is made, he is perfected or made perfect for all time. Those who are, my, my translation here says, are being sanctified or being made holy. Maybe your translation says. You see, remember, uh, the Jewish audience would have known that he was alluding to Psalm 110, that he was saying Jesus was fulfilling Psalm 110. And so when he says these words, for, the, for by one, he, was perfect, he has perfected or made perfect for all time those who are being made holy or those who are being sanctified, they would have exactly known what he was referring to. Psalm 110, you know what Psalm 110 says? That God's gonna make all the footstools, an enemy, all of his enemies a footstool in front of Jesus. You know how he says he's gonna do it? He's, he describes this moment where in the midst of a, a broken, chaotic, busted, disgusting, wicked, dark world that we live in, that there are these little pockets that pop up. And he describes these little pockets as like warrior priests. They're like, they're like holy priesthood. It's this like holy priesthood who, who in their holiness is their weapon. In their, holy just means otherness, right? It just means being other. In, in, their, in their holiness that God is going to conquer, <laughs> God is going to conquer evil and destruction with priests, with religious leaders, with men and women of God who've devoted themselves to pursuing God. Here's what this means. God's work in this world is not finished. In fact, God's work is to sanctify, to make you and I holy. What God is doing in this world, in this broken world, 
in this busted world is he's making these little like pods, these little like communities, these little chunks of people that, that sit together who they themselves together have been transformed by the saving work of Jesus, who they themselves have been made perfect. That, that's what Jesus does, who are being made holy, progressively becoming more and more like Jesus. These little people, these groups of people in the midst of a dark and busted and arid and wicked and evil world, God is placing these little groups of people to overcome the darkness with light. He's placing these little kingdom bearers, these little priesthood pockets to bring about the goodness and mercy of God into a world that's busted. If you remember when we went through, if you were here for it, we spent like five years in the book of Matthew and the whole premise of the book of Matthew is he says the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's right here. And we talked about the, the image that Jesus is painting is the kingdom of God is not a country. It's not a state. It's not a region. It's every single place that there are people in submission to God. And so, so the writer of Hebrews is saying, the work of Jesus, it's done. It's accomplished. That is good news. That is beautiful. And we rejoice and celebrate in that. The work of the Father is not. The work of the Father is, Second uh, <laughs> um, Corinthians 5 says this, that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I, I need you to hear this. Um, you've never lived a normal, boring day. If you are a follower of God, you are a, a, a priest-like warrior set amongst a dark and broken world so that you might begin to be a part of God bringing his kingdom. It says, there's this one line that says, raising the scepter of the king amongst his enemies. You guys, that's what we're called to do. Everywhere we go, that we get to be the people who gather together to raise the scepter of our King Jesus in the midst of his enemies and thereby by grace and mercy and his goodness and his power and, and, and his redemption conquer the darkness of this world. God, you probably heard this before, like God has no plan B. Like the, the only plan he has is to work through you and me, the plan written thousands of years ago in Psalm 110 describes a moment when God, because the saving work of his son would work through you and me to create pockets of rebellion in this broken and dark world, pockets of the kingdom of God bringing hope and life and healing and goodness and mercy as you and I both desire to become a little bit more like Jesus each day as we become these holy priests in a world of darkness and brokenness. This is what this means. God's, God's plan, God's desire is um, in your workplace, in, in the schools you walk into, in the schools you're a part of, whether you attend or you work there, in the neighborhoods, in the families, that God has placed you there in an arid and broken and busted world so that you would be holy, so that you would look different. And I just wonder, 
I wonder, what would it do if every single time we work into our walk, walk into our workplaces, we walk into communities, we walk into our neighborhoods, we walk into our families, if we set our mind on being the kingdom of priests that Peter calls us, to bringing the kingdom of God to this place. So, so when, you're, when, you're, you know, when you're at work and, and, and someone's complaining about management or they're complaining about um, you know, uh, some higher up who's instituting some policy and they're, they're so stupid, if they ever spent a single day doing the job, they'd know that this was the dumbest idea that they could have ever implemented. What would it, what would, what would it look like if instead... In little pockets of community of Jesus followers, little pockets of priests becoming more and more like Jesus, what if we were people who let out with grace and mercy and kindness and gratitude and brought just a little bit of the kingdom of God to our broken workplaces? What would it look like? Um, I don't know if you know this, but um, this year is a leap year. Did you know that? This year is a leap year? Um, which means, probably more impactfully, um, that this is also an election year. And we all get to ride that train again this fall. <laughs> what happened? What would happen? What would happen? What would happen if instead, instead of allowing ourselves to be consumed by the narrative of this world, that they are the problem and they are the enemy, what if in, in a world of politics that thrives off anger and panic and, and hatred, what if there were these little pockets who raised the scepter of King Jesus, who, who reminded ourselves over and over again, whatever happens in our nation, whatever leaders are placed in positions of power in our nation, Jesus is king. What, what, what would what would happen to our broken and busted world if we let out with grace and mercy and kindness and goodness and hope? God's placed you where he has on purpose because his desire is to set up a, an outpost of his kingdom so that the, the powers of darkness of this world would bend in submission to our king as we raise his scepter. So that through you and through me, God might bring hope and healing and reconciliation and restoration to all things. May it be. May it be in me. May it be in you. May it be in us. King Jesus, our King Jesus is Lord. And may we be a part of bringing hope and healing to broken and hurting workplaces and families and communities and friends.